that's why we have to think about what is it we need to do right now to protect that. And I think we as citizens, as, as humanity, have the opportunity. And that's the most important thing. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name is Rick Nusky. I'm your host. This is the show that gets you in front of your best audience and keeps you there. And I want to take a a few seconds just to say thank you for all of the feedback that I am reading. It's wonderful. It's very motivating. And keep it coming. Thank you very much. Now, on today's show, I'm with the wonderful Peggy Smedley. And we're going to be talking about how we can move away from a throwaway economy towards a circular economy and how technological advances can enable solutions to the planet's challenges and with that being said welcome to the show Peggy. Well Rick thank you so much I'm delighted to be here with you today it's kind of fun being on the other end of the interview today so thank you. Oh absolutely my pleasure now I know that uh, we have a lot to explore on today's call I know that you're a tech lover you're a book author uh, you're doing some wonderful things in terms of natural resources and ecosystems and innovation and, and the likes but what I like to do first Peggy is to spend some time learning a little bit more about my guests so I wonder if we can learn uh, where you live where's home for you? Home for me right now is in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois, in the States. So in the suburbs, uh, born and raised here in uh, Chicago. So been here forever. So forever? right now, so that's where I am. Yep. <laughs> so um, what are the landmarks there that people might might be familiar with? You know, for Chicago, some of the great landmarks is, you know, food. You got to love the food, the museum, the art. So that's what's great. But, you know, some of the things we don't love is our winners and our potholes. So some of the construction. <laughs> so we kind of say we have five seasons here, but uh, the food, you can't help but love the, that kind of stuff. Uh, do you like cooking or home. do you like cooking yourself? I have to tell you, I'm pretty spoiled. I have a husband who is an amazing oh. cook, so I am spoiled all the time with amazing food. So I have to say that I'm one of those wives that gets spoiled every night. He cooks me an amazing meal, and uh, I'm pampered that way. We have a we have a rule in our house: he cooks, I clean. So I have a I have a home that uh, I'm I'm a little crazy about. You know, I'm the sous chef, so. <laughs> That's the way it works in our house. Oh, well, there you go. The contract is written and put away to the side. Um, it sounds like harmony to me. Now, I, I wonder um, if uh, you, you mentioned that you're in the suburbs a little bit. Yes. Da yes. Are, you, are you pet lovers? I am a pet lover. I have two dogs. I have a Maltese and a Maltipoo. So I, they're white as snow and uh, they're they're with me all the time. And if you follow my radio show every now and then, you'll see my my young, my smaller of the two dogs, Jax. He's on. You'll see him on Instagram. I put him on some of the Instagram photos with me because uh, he's my trick dog. I've trained him to do all kinds of tricks. And so every now and then I'll post a photo of him and he has his own little following. So people love to watch Jax. My older dog, Max, he, uh, he's a little bit older now. He's uh, so he doesn't get as many photos. He's both of them on photos, <laughs> but he's up there in age now. So. My Maltese Shih Tzus, when we had them, they've since passed away. I remember them being the ultimate lap dogs. 
They are. They're fabulous. That they're snuggle snuggle dogs. So yes. you know when you have a dog and you snuggle, and they're warm. And um, my older one, Max, he he's more more of a bed bed hog. So it's kind of at night you can't move them. So I don't know if my husband has room in the bed anymore because the dog takes <laughs> off the face. So it's, it's the dogs more than my husband. So, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Absolutely. Now, I wonder um, if we wind back time a little bit. I always like to, to talk about this when, when we were kids. I'm wondering um, when you were a kid, what do you remember about growing up where you live? What was one fond memory that you have? Oh, I have to say, <laughs> this fond memory has been carried over to my life today. Um, my mother, when, when she was alive, made our Christmas. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, and but no matter what we did, my mother saved every penny she had to make sure that we had an amazing Christmas, whether she couldn't get us lots of things, but made Christmas spectacular for us. So whatever that might be, she tried to decorate the house. And so we always said our, our mother was Christmas crazy. Well, I've inherited that trait, so I'm the Mrs. Claus now. So if you come to our house, I decorate the house as if it was out of a catalog. So inside and out, people love to come to our house because Christmas I don't have just a house full of, I have cartons and cartons and pubs of decorations. It takes me a couple of days, an entire weekend to decorate my home. So I've taken that childhood desire to an adult. So I've carried that. That's my memory. And so I'm hoping my three children who are now grown adults go either they'll love it or hate it. They, you know, from that experience, because I've made it it's something of our own so it's it's a big memory of mine i tell you what festive cheer and spending that um you know decking the halls with boughs of holly uh, you know there's nothing better than the christmas cheer and i'm all for it we do exactly the same thing thank you so much for sharing now i wonder in in those earlier years in our formative years i like to call them you talked about your mum um were there other people that have helped you become the woman that you are today you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because um, I went, um, I probably wouldn't be a journalist today or a writer if, if I didn't have, you know, I, 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 and, and probably a lot of times people don't say I went to uh, private schools uh, growing up. And again, we didn't have a lot of money, but uh, being going in, in, in schools in Chicago sometimes uh, where we were, um, it was just kind of like we went into these schools and we, the nuns, you know, were very strict. And at the time it, they would tell you, you know, this is what they expected of you. And I had a nun that said, you know what, you just don't have it in you to be a writer. And she said, it's just not going to happen. And it broke my heart. I was like, I'm never going to be a writer. And I remembered that whether she did that to motivate me or not. Um, and here I am today. I've written two books. I write every single day of my life, but it forced me to be work harder and to be committed. Um, so I, I look at that. So in, in my formative years, it was something that inspired me to not give up. So sometimes when you're told you can't do something, doesn't mean to quit. Sometimes it means to work harder. So I don't know if that's a, a negative or a positive, but uh, to me, she stuck with me. And then I had a sixth grade teacher that said, you can work really hard. Just focus on what you what your weaknesses are. Make them your strengths, and that's what I did. So, there's the dichotomy in my life of two teachers 
you know, and uh, it really helped. And so I really look at that as a changing role models in my life, you know, so don't don't look at them as negatives. Look at them as positive. You know, look at a glass as half full, not half empty. And that can really make a difference in your life. That's some sage advice. What I what I take away from that, Peggy, is that I guess it would help you to form your own opinions too, wouldn't it? About what you oh, should absolutely. believe. Oh, absolutely. You know, you you make what your world is. You know, you mentors are very, very important and, and I believe in that today. I believe we, we should mentor and I'm very big on that. And I to this very day am very encourage others to be mentors. And I've done that for years and years and years. And I think it's so very important because if we can give back, we, we receive rewards for that. And that's very important because by mentoring, we see what we've done, how we've helped others, and it helps us. So we all we all receive, you know, it's, it kind of is circularity, kind of what we're talking about in my yep. book today. But it wasn't meant to be that way. But I think there's a lot to be given for that. And I think when we take that time, we learn a lot, we achieve a lot. And I think there's so much to be gained from it, just from our personal selves, but what we give to others and how they pass it on for generations and generations and, and, and the young stewards that come from that. This is what I love about the My Future Business Show, because we get to, you know, unravel people's lives, look at their rich tapestry of life's experience. And you've got technology, uh, a passion for technology. You're an author. You're a journalist. Now, I want to talk about all of these things, but but let's talk about your um, award winning streak as a journalist. Share a little bit about that with us. Well, you know, there, there's I've, I've won several, and mm-hmm. uh, and many of them have been uh, just it, it, it's it's been a lot of you know dedication, and you don't ever win an award by yourself. I, I think you know. So when I always look at the awards, there's always a team of people that have helped me win those awards. You you can't write an article without having someone else who's helped you copy edit or someone who's helped you proof it. So that's something again. It goes back to when I talk about the whole idea of. Um, you know, looking at mentors and teams and everything. There's never an I. There's no I in the word team, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I always tell my my team of people that are with me when we do things that we it's all of us together. And so every award I've I've earned has never been by myself. It's always been, it's been the people who've been with me and the teams that I've held. So I've surrounded myself with amazing people have helped me achieve these awards so no matter what award i've won it's been because i have an amazing team that's helped me do that but the the, by i always say that you it's how you work with people and how they work with you and you have to be you have to be able to take criticism whether it's your own work or that you give others so on these awards that i look at today it's always exciting to see them because it's it's, it's this effort that you put forth. It's whether it's the research you do or it's the article you write. Uh, it's about some major story that is the ASCE, which is the uh, Construction Industry Award, which is about, you know, infrastructure or whether it's about some underground storage tank that I've won for investigative work, you know, years ago, or whether it's just any award for influencing or, or anything that we do. It really doesn't matter as it is more important about the the depth of research, the objectivity that we write in, in the information. It's not about writing about one side or the other because I always I come from the old school of writing 
that you have to be very honest about how you write. You know, try to give the most information. And to me, that's the best award-winning work we can do. And it takes a team to do that. Yeah. And that's when I get excited about the awards we win because it's a team that's helped me do that. Thank you for sharing. Oh, no, no, no. That's that's wonderful. It's um, exactly what I'm hoping to hear. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, um, what type of tech do you love? What is your passion? I love, you know, I've, I've run the gamut. You know, it's it's interesting. I don't have a technical background. And that's what's so interesting about my knowledge today. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a chemist or anything like that. I've learned technology through the years. And my knowledge has come from a lot of research. I started from being a newspaper writer to start. And it my I've, I've come full circle into understanding technology from starting out from covering sports. And then as I started getting into the petroleum industry and then from petroleum learning about underground storage tanks. And, and, and as I started, then I got into manufacturing and from manufacturing, I got into the internet of things and AI and, and, and learning about 5G and all this technology. And from understanding it and being able, you can't write about technology without being able to understand it and then translate it to make it understandable for someone else to read. So it, you have to really digest it and then be able to communicate it and articulate it to somebody else, right? And that's something that's been very important for me to be able to learn it and explain it and put it in easy layman's terms because if you can't, otherwise it's, it's an essay. It's, it's some complicated, you know, uh, report, so I've taken a lot of time to learn and understand everything that I've had to learn and whether it's digital transformation or the cloud or something that we're all having to learn about every day, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, we've come about to embrace the iPhone, you know, when it first came to market in 2007, whatever it might be, how has it changed our lives and all the applications that have come on it? So. Well, it's 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 funny because it's probably a very good segue into how uh, innovation through technology has led you to uh, your involvement in the work that you're doing nowadays. So I guess um, it'd be a good time to talk about your books, um, Sustainable in a Circular World, Design and Restore Natural Ecosystem Through Innovation. How did this come about? You know, it, it's kind of an interesting, I guess... What led me to write the book is, is if you think about what's happened today, there's, it's really hard to grasp. I guess the best way to describe this is the magnitude of the, the confluence of forces, I think, is the best way of saying this, is that's creating this incredible disruption today. I think since the Industrial Revolution, and this is the way I, I like to describe it, is that we've never seen such destruction of the environment and that we continue to see every day. Hmm. And I think we're experiencing, and I like to say this global gold rush um, as the world moves, as, as I've told everyone from gray to green, we need to protect our people. We need to protect our planet from the devastating inf- impacts of what I call like these rising seas, these spiking temperatures we've been talking about. You hear all the time about extreme weather and, and climate impacts that we, we hear it on all the news, all the times you hear discussion, you hear President Biden talk about it. 
and the impacts that are actually destroying our environmental, human, social, and economic, uh, I, I guess you could say, development worldwide. It's not just here in the United States, or it's, it's a global impact that we all are responsible for. And that's what I think we have to think about. And that's what led me to really write the book and not from taking one position or another, but laying all the facts out and letting each person make their own decision on what side of the fence you believe. Is it really happening or is it not happening? It's a very interesting take because I I heard a phenomenon one time when I was studying at university where somebody heard somebody was getting um, stabbed or murdered or something horrible and everybody in the street could hear it, but because somebody thought somebody else would do something about it, actually nobody did anything about it. Have you ever heard of that phenomenon? I wonder if the same thing applies here. You know, it's an interesting point because, um, you know, if you think about all the kind of things that are happening today, a lot of it, it, it's, it's a very emotional subject. Yeah. You know, I always say to everyone right now is that if you think about everybody looks at climate and circularity and sustainability from a different lens and whether, you know, you believe it's happening or the severity of it. It's, it's all a different perspective. Mm, absolutely. Thank you very much. Now, in terms of um, going from um, grey to green, for those who are on the show that are very interested in this but they don't understand that terminology, what does that actually mean? Well, if you think about, I guess the best way that I like to describe the grey to green idea is we, we've, we for years have been this society that's had everything we have been depleting and taking away from our natural resources if you think about it the more companies and individuals we have been doing things about wanting the latest and greatest and so we haven't really thought so much about our economy as we've thought more about what we want as as we pile up all of these things that We've wanted the, the latest things, and if you think about, we've amassed everything of stuff. We've piled up all these things in our landfills, one after another. The direction, it's almost like saying our linear economy. We have, mm. it's become this take-make-waste take, take make, model, and everything we've done for decades. We, we've thrown everything very linearly into um into our landfills and it, it it's been very economically it's been great but it's been highly productive for manufacturers and but we didn't realize that the factories have grown since the industrial revolution we've seen great success the problem with it we didn't realize what we were doing to our natural ecosystems so we've been making our natural ecosystem very gray. We've been destroying it. It's not green. It's not plush anymore. So that's the gray to green I'm, I'm saying is yeah, we're yeah. not making it so pretty as you can see, you know, when the winters come, it, everything's dying away more and more and more. And that's where we need to be thinking about how do we restore it? How do we plant more things? How do we, you know, restore instead of just constantly cutting down more trees, you know, we, we need to, you know, plant more of them? How, how do we, you know, throw more, instead of throwing more plastic bottles into the ocean, where do we 
instead of killing more fish, how do we do less of that? You know, we have to think more about, you know, protecting our, our oceans. You know, I, I listen to this and, and I have uh, visions come to mind, horrible visions where petrochemical uh, waste pebbles are, are forming beaches now. There's that much of it. And, um, you know, uh, sea life can't swim because of it. Um, is it too late? It's never too late. You know, I don't ever want to ever think anything's too late. Um, I think that's why we have the Paris Accord. I think that's why, you know, we we are one of the biggest culprits of, of polluting. And, and, you know, China is also a big polluter. And, and we know that that's why the Paris Accord is here, is that we all have to do it together. One can't do it. We all have to be you know, resilient. We all have to commit to this. And that's why we're hearing so many of us say we're, we're going to be different. But I think if we all try to do and we try to eliminate CO2 emissions and we try to, to get to net zero and we try to do things better, faster, cleaner, we will improve things. If we don't, you know, then we, we are going to have this problem that we say, well, at what point? It, what is that point that it is too late? I, you know, I'm not a scientist that I'm not going to say the point is we're we're at a never ending point that it's that's it. We're, we're at that world's mm. going to end. I'm, I'm not the one that's going to make that prediction. But what I am going to say is if we don't start doing something, we are going to see less and less of the creatures that have been put on this earth. The, the less of the lands that we all love, the less of the flowers, the birds, the, the creatures we all enjoy so much, there's not going to be many of them. We're going to deplete them. And I think that's why we have to think about what is it we need to do right now to, let, to, to protect that. And I think we as citizens, as, as humanity, have the opportunity. And that's the most important thing. I see a lot of the dialogue. I have young children there at school and they often come home with different dialogue than I ever experienced at school about environmental recycling, um, waste recycling, um, just initiatives that they're taking. Um, what initiatives from, a, I guess, a more governmental level are you seeing that are impressing you? Well, you, if you look at what, from a government perspective, what I think is interesting is we've seen right now this metamorphosis of, I think, companies and governments pushing for this transforming, like they put in programs to place that are like these net zero programs, the journey that you take. You can see companies pushing for from now until 2030 that they would make a, a commitment to eliminate um, their scope emissions, you know, their scope one, scope two, scope three. You've heard them say no direct emissions in scope one created from your sources or your activities, you know, that you're trying from your own heating or cooling that they're trying to do in their scope two are your indirect emissions. You know, those are all kind of things. By, by scope three, you know, those are many of them are trying to reach by 2050 and that's transferred indirect emissions, you know, and those are the ones that these, this means any emissions you are engaged with, you know, from disposal of trash, purchased goods, you know, and all host of things, you know, in the supply chain, business travel, it really gets very complicated. But, mm. you know, your entire product life cycle, it's, it, there's a whole data tracking and everything that you're doing. And, and it's full transparency and all of this. But I think that's where... 
you have sustainability experts, you look at your ESG initiatives on this. This is where companies get really good. And there are some really great companies who are stepping up. You see Microsoft, Thurston Krupp, you see Train, you see a lot of really good companies who are saying, we are going to lead the way Amazon's trying to do it. You say, we're going to do better and we're going to have, you know, corporate social responsibility experts who are going to be involved in this. That's how we're going to change the way we do things. And we aren't going to just throw anything in the garbage anymore. We're going to limit our waste. We're going to limit the way we do things. And we're going to be more sustainable. We're going to be more circular. And each step we take in the process is going to make our world a better place for not just today's generation, but the next generation and the generation after that. And by doing that, we get better and better. Thank you for sharing. I love this conversation. I remember when I was studying environmental management systems years ago, and um, one of the things that I, I can say to you now is that we're still talking, which is a really good thing, but I think we should be doing more acting rather than talking. Are you seeing that there is a, a momentum shift recently or not? Oh, dramatically. I, I, I honestly believe, you know, I think we've been talking about it for so long my personal opinion is, and all of this is, we have five generations in the workforce today. And I think those five generations have looked for the first time in history. And this is what I wrote in the book. And the reason I wrote this in the book is because you and I both know, we both can come at something. And you, you made this point earlier. We can look at something completely differently. Five generations in the workforce look at things entirely differently. And the reason being that way is we see things differently. And that's the way our generations come into things, our music, our tastes, our life. I liken our, our Generation Z that, that we look at. You know, we have these Generation Z, we have millennials, and they, it, we have baby boomers, we have traditionalists. They're all in the workforce right now, right? And if you look at Generation Z, they, they're socially engaged. They, they can't even imagine not having a, an iPhone in their hand. I mean, they just can't imagine it. But at that same time, they want to make change happen. They're, they're so, without thinking about the environment, the environment is most important to them. Baby boomers, on the other hand, come in at a completely different perspective where I don't know if I believe the environment is really that much is, is, is in mm. their mm. desire needs. They don't quite believe it quite as much as Generation Z does. Now, millennials, they're a little bit more in the middle saying, I do think we have to do something. We need to do it quicker and it's more important. So the view is different. The urgency is different. But if you would just get everyone in the room and let them listen and hear each other, now the talk has changed. So the urgency about how do we go about it has changed. That's where the dialogue now has changed Whereas before we were all coming at it, different work people, different times. Now we've all come together and we're all like, well, how do we tackle it? That's why it's changed. And that's what's made this time in history so incredibly unique and exciting. And that's why things are happening. And that's why we're seeing the change. And that's why I think we're, again, I use the expression moving the needle, you know, because people are listening to each other, unlike before, maybe in some ways, you know, we're, we're taken to the streets in a whole different way. But, you know, as the expression is, we are at least 
listening to each other. I'll give you an example. This is maybe the best way. Consider the invention of the telephone. The invention of the telephone was invented in 1876. How long do you think it took? It actually took for landlines to reach saturation in the homes. No idea. It took literally about a century. An iPhone, the iPhone alone, smartphones, it took 40% penetration in less than 10 years. Wow. Just think of that. And that just shows you the difference of where we've come. Now, it's technology. We get that. But that little, you know, app, there's an app for that concept, has changed our lives. But now we then have COVID. Now we have people looking at screens 24-7. Now that's changed our lives even more. And look what's happened to digital transformation in one year on things we never imagined that we could do business, what's happened in just one year, how we've changed the way we do medical, health, retail. In one year, our lives have completely changed. So now imagine what we can do to change our life and our ecosystems to redo things differently. It's going to change again. This is just wonderful. I've loved this call, Peggy. Um, This is such a deep topic. I know this for a fact. There's a lot of emotion behind it. There's a lot of passion. There's lots of people doing great work. Now, just share with us a couple of things. Um, First of all, about your show. I'd love to learn a bit more about that. But also, when people want to get their hands on your book, um, where are they going to go? They can get the book on Amazon, of course. Amazon has it. And you can get it on our website, of course, at, I always have to look myself, right? At (laughs) sustainablecircularworld.com. Fantastic. Now, in terms of your show, what what are people going to find when when they listen to you? Uh, on the PeggySmedleyShow.com, I talk about technology every week at 12 Central, uh, Illinois, I mean, you know, Central Times in U.S. time. Uh, and I talk all about technology. I talk about sustainability. I talk about the Internet of Things. I'm talking about the things that are really most important to what we're needing to focus on today that I think will change our world and help us just understand the things that are impacting our lives today. But how do we help, again, you know, STEM and next generation and just where do we put all this technology together? This is uh, very important work that you are doing. You're on a very important mission. It's um, a credit to you, and I wish you all the very best for getting uh, more and more results and gaining that momentum that we so desperately need globally. And definitely make sure to go check out Peggy's show. I'll be making sure that the links back to sustainablecircularworld.com are available as uh, your podcast show. And with all that being said, Peggy, thank you so very much for joining me on the My Future Business Show today. Rick, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You'll have to come join me on mine. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.